0: It's Tuesday, April twelfth. Welcome to episode twelve of Insert Content Here.
1: Insert content here. Words intentionally unclear. Rap papadido ba rap-ba-ba-do-do
0: Insert Content Here. Hi, I'm Jeff Eaton, Senior Architect at Lullabot and your host for Insert Content Here, a podcast about content strategy and uh, all things uh, content i I'm here uh, this week with uh, Jared Ponchat, creative director at Lullabot. It's been really interesting. There's a bunch of different projects that Jared and I have had a chance to work on over the past um, probably year or two, where we've both had a chance to approach a lot of um, planning around content, the strategic aspects of how some of our large um, publishing and media clients are approaching their work, and um, it's been fascinating because Jared uh, comes from a design background and I come from a technical background, but there's been a huge amount of overlap in um, the kinds of principles that we try to that we try to bring to bear on some of these projects. And uh, I thought it would be really cool to uh, have Jared on, and uh, we could just talk about some of the some of the ways that you know from two different perspectives uh, we we both sort of arrived at some some very interesting and and uh complementary approaches to uh content modeling and structure and how to approach CMS design in a way that is actually sustainable. So, yeah, I'm, imagine that. <laughs> yeah, sustainable, what a crazy concept. Welcome to the podcast and thanks thanks for joining us.
1: Glad to be here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. So this is fun.
0: <laughs> so, I have worked with you for uh for a few years now and I think how, how exactly did you get involved in um in design? Because I know you come from like an actual real design background.
1: Yeah, I um, I think like a lot of designers, I wanted to be a writer in high school, and so I went to my um, guidance counselor after my junior year of high school and said, "I'm thinking of being a lit major. I've gotten a big scholarship to a couple good literature schools. I, w- I think I'll love it." And she looked at me and said, "You can never make a living writing. That's impossible." Why don't you oh, consider hush. art? Got a lot of art skills, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, and so I did not know how you how you apply my per- per- personal kind of preferences and art skills. I think she just said that because I, I was the one who would always get assigned with like creating a plan for the mural that was going to go on the wall of our school or that kind of stuff, and I was a good drawer, so. But I had no idea what, what graphic design was when I was coming out of high school, actually. I, I really did not know what it was. Ne- nevertheless, I, I went off to college and declared it as my major and started into a design program. It's kind of funny. It it actually took until near the end of my college years when I had been playing around with writing HTML pages uh, way back in the days of the Alachua County freenet. Oh wow, you you you've got like old school web nerd cred. Yeah, like in the it was would have been late nineties, like maybe yeah, late mid nineties was when I my my first ever web page I made like just you know writing some HTML and and then you know adding inline font assignments and things and I should say I started off at like a like the state school I went to University of Florida and after two years there I was just totally throwing my hands up in the air at what the College of Fine Arts was there. And design wasn't something I was interested in the way they were doing it. And I ended up starting over at a design school. I went to this little tiny school that's like on the coast of Florida called Ringling College of Art and Design, which actually it's a very prestigious school, but it's tiny. Most people have never heard of it. That just means it's super exclusive. Yes, and it was wonderful. And I I was fascinated with systems. Like so much of design and graphic design, the way they taught it at the school was sort of creating visual systems. That was the part that fascinated me in, in sort of the classic Graphic design school kind of stuff. Um, the more that I got into the web, the more it felt like the part of my brain that that loved systems kind of came alive. Because I don't know, I do I was never really. I don't think I approached the world like a true graphic designer. D- do you have a turtleneck? Uh, I I used to. I don't think I do anymore.
0: Oh, the that, boy! That that that's <laughs> really a blow against the street cred.
1: Yeah, totally. And you know, I actually don't even have a really large scarf, so that's. <laughs> That's another problem. But anyway, I I think the web just fascinated me. And especially because, you know, I wanted to be a writer before I figured out what design was. And I always liked words. And, you know, I was like in the publications team in high school. I think that was actually where I thought maybe design would be this thing, because I thought maybe that's what graphic design is, is like designing communication. I think that's what I was thinking I was getting into. And it's essentially what I do. Uh, and, and that's the reason why I've gravitated so much toward content strategy when I didn't even know what content strategy was. I think that's like the theme of my professional career is I start doing things that I have no idea what they are. Well, I,
0: I think it's <laughs> interesting because like you, the way you describe what really drew you in was all about the, the visual aspects of communication and um and this is something that i've heard just you know talking with other people in the content strategy community who come from you know a pure you know technical communications or writing background is that one of the biggest misconceptions is that content strategy is ultimately about copywriting it's about text it's you know and right. presentation is just as much an aspect of content and what you're what you're creating and
1: publishing right and i also found myself getting into when i started really getting into the web when this would have been later like around early 2000s and i was making my first websites where i was trying to figure out how to actually make it easier for people to publish content to these sites and uh, you know went through the days of working with my friend who was a php developer and like trying to make our own content management system I, I wound up spending lots of time designing uh, the interfaces for content creation and editing. And I was fascinated with it. Like I, I actually, the company that I started, we wound up, wound up spending like two years or more developing like a very custom admin experience on top of Drupal that was like specifically tailored to like really simple content creation kinds of stuff, which at the time, but you know, in Drupal was, was way worse than it is now. And I've always been fascinated with helping people, helping figure out how content comes into existence and then helping understand the bits that make it up and their relative priority. I think the thing that fascinates me about design is just that design feels to me like design is all about helping the world set priorities and in, in making things feel simple, like t- creating simplicity out of complexity, not because it's just taking everything away, but helping you understand the relative importance of everything.
0: That's one of the interesting things. It's like content strategy feels like a, a way of getting a bunch of different kinds of disciplines into the same room to have an important conversation.
1: It it wasn't something that came into being to have a new job title. There
0: was one project that we were on, um probably almost a year ago, in in which I think it was the first time we'd you know sort of been in the same room having a couple of these conversations, and it really occurred to us that we were really arriving at a lot of the same questions for the client that we were working with. From, from different, from these different directions. Um, Mm -hmm. that was, um, actually the, the Tizen.org project. Yep. I thought it was really interesting because a lot of the questions that you were asking were about, you know, okay, so what's the underlying, you know, what's, what's the underlying stuff that you're actually going to be communicating? How are you going to be using it across these different properties? You know, what's, what's most important and what's most critical for you to communicate? I mean, it's a lot of the same stuff that, I think has been informing discussions about like, you know, the highly technical aspects of like content modeling and structured content reuse.
1: Mm-hmm. That was the first time I think that you and I had ever spent a bunch of time doing an on-site discovery process together. And it was fascinating to like see <laughs> the so much overlap in what we were trying to figure out early on in my design career, almost any designer like you, okay, we're going to start designing websites. Well then let's start designing a homepage.
0: Yeah the the HTML page as a canvas yeah yeah
1: and it's almost like design informed content or something like where (laughs) it's like we've got this cool container like let let's cross our fingers and hope that we can make sensible things to flow into it I I tend to try to first understand like the underlying content and where the breaks happen in between the different types and then figure out what the most important type is or the most complex type and then I design from there out. And the reason I've always done that is is it's helped me avoid all that confusing the confusing thing that I experienced early on in in working with uh, design companies being asked to do web designs where it f- where it felt like The designer had to be this magician who just kind of intrinsically knew the kinds of things that should be on the page, then made them all feel right and look pretty and all that kinds of stuff. And as opposed to the designer being the one who, after talking with lots of people, actually has a really good holistic understanding of the content and is able to then condense that down and use visual skill to help everybody else see it.
0: Well, that, that's interesting, actually, because w- one of the things that you mentioned, you know, the, the idea of identifying the most important types of content and sort of designing from, inside, from the inside out, it really does feel backwards. It seems like, you know, the, the very first step on so many projects is, okay, what's the homepage going to look like? You know, that, mm-hmm. you know what, what's, the, what's the billboard out in front? You know, h- how do we make that pop? Tremendously small percentage of people's time is usually actually spent on the homepage of content-rich sites.
1: Yeah, most people actually think of a news site. You and I are working on a big news project together at the moment even. And dominantly, the traffic, actually, I'm working with two different clients on news sites, like one of them is an external site that consumers use for news news, and one of them is a, a a large corporate intranet for the entire like worldwide company, like consuming their news from the company. And in both cases, the traffic bears out where dominantly people arrive at a piece of content and, a, and it's actually a piece of content that they came for. Um it's not that no one uses the homepage. However, there's a larger number of people that arrive directly at Obama's trip to Israel as opposed to coming there from the homepage.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. I, it's, I was actually just looking over some interesting analytics data um, from a couple of large news sites that you know the the idea of traffic coming to the front page. And then being steered through to other sub stories has really, really dropped significantly over time, and I think that's one of the interesting things about. Um,
1: there used to be actually a a fantastic use case in my mind for why people would want the homepage. Like people like now, it almost seems silly. It's like, well, why would you come to the homepage? Like people don't come for that; they come to get to the thing that that points them to. When I was a kid, though, when there wasn't this ubiquitous fire hose of information all around me everywhere. My dad would get the paper and it was like he only got one paper. Half of what he would do half the time on busy weeks was just using essentially that front page of the paper to just kind of be abreast of what was going on in the world. You know, even if he didn't have time to actually read the content, read all the articles. And so, you know, perhaps in a in a world where we're so bombarded all the time it's changed a little bit
0: yeah going back to your earlier comment about how people work with the actual content itself one aspect of it is you know the actual mechanics of i need to post a particular piece of content i need to edit Mm -hmm. it i need to put it into an approval queue or i need to attach media to it you know there's certain things that i think anyone who works with a cms or has built a cms based solution is sort of accustomed to those being the challenges but one of the things that I'm seeing a lot more is it's sort of a fuzzy middle ground between the organization of content and where it goes and how it looks and how it appears and what the actual meat of the content itself is. Like, how do, how do I want to manage what's on the front page? And it feels like as there's more and more emphasis on separating design from, you know, content and structured, you know, structured content and reuse, that that's a really difficult challenge. I think, you know, both on the technical side, but also from a design perspective, you know, figuring out how to build those systems that you were talking about.
1: In my perfect world that I always aim to achieve, the actual people that create the content and the people that are going to be managing the site and all those kinds of things, getting these people to work together with you, and with others to understand the things that make up the content that they're creating, where the discrepancies are and being able to focus their energies on appropriately assigning hierarchy to things. Then let's, Focus on, well, how do we actually carry that hierarchy out visually?
0: Yeah, like the difference between letting someone say, you know, here's a piece of content. What are the relationships inherent in it to other kinds of content? And what what kind of emphasis and what kind of priority do we want to give it versus, oh, no, 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 no. I really need it to be on the left side. Right. A little bit below the headline.
1: Yeah, like – Editorial teams, you know, coming into their Monday morning and thinking, "Oh, we need to write a new large left blue story today," <laughs> um, is a bad thing in my mind. Um, it's it's we need to write a primary story or a secondary or a tertiary or a quadrary or whatever. However the far you take that out, but but the idea being like that, it's actually not as complicated as we make it, and it actually gives you a way of evaluating design too. Um, because then those teams can look at said designer's work and say, Hey, you know, what we've made primary, secondary, and tertiary. When we look at the actual product that you've created, um, the primary things don't look primary to us. Um, and you can have really sensible discussions about design in that way. I think I've seen the
0: lack of that approach it r- really sort of run on, you know, hit the rocks uh, on a couple of different occasions for two reasons. One is, what happens when it goes to somewhere other than the desktop web you know mm-hmm. with with responsive design or you know piping things to apps or even rss feeds you know email newsletters you know there's there's a million different ways that that piece of content can go out there where it needs to be big and it needs to be blue no longer makes sense but also that heavy visual emphasis on like you know the content creation in as opposed to you know, capturing relationships and priority and emphasis, it really makes it difficult to move forward with design revisions when there's that much pure presentation logic baked into mm-hmm. so much of the content.
1: Yeah, you have to trust your designers to actually implement the hierarchy and you have to actually know that you've that everybody has established and agreed upon a hierarchy. And Well, but there's so many projects I, you know, that, that that doesn't actually appear to happen in consulting work and stuff where it just seems like you're, you've asked me to evaluate this design and make some recommendations. Can somebody show me the – or explain to me what what the priorities are? Things like, why is that big? Yes. There, there's there's no explanation for these things. That's a design decision. Um, but was <laughs> it informed
0: like, by we need a big thing there or that's important?
1: Right. I mean, it's it's sort of tantamount to going out to eat and – finding out that the thing that you're eating is like 3 quarters salt and then saying well that's an ingredient decision you know it's like well yeah but it has a huge impact so let's uh let's tie it to something else um it's interesting too because you you mentioned that um
0: you know that you mentioned there the need for a lot of communication between you know the the content pe- team and i think that you know whoever's doing the design and also you know whoever's actually going to be building out the system you know there there's a lot of things that uh, that are easy to put into a photoshop file but can't necessarily be turned into either a usable workflow for, you know, for actual content editors, mm-hmm. you know, sidestepping a lot of those problems requires a considerable amount of, like, cross-discipline communication. That seems mm-hmm. like a, a, an eternal, like, battleground in, in certain kinds of projects. Do you have any thoughts on how to improve that?
1: <laughs> L- larger organizations, I, I keep finding that becomes even harder for some reason. I, like, there's this tendency for, for good reasons. I mean, I've tried to organize large efforts before. I'm not terribly great at that. <laughs> it, like, being a, be, I'm glad that I'm not a project manager for a living with, you know, four concurrent giant teams working on things or something. That's not where I shine. But I do think that part of the problem is this dependency on siloing things in order to let people work congruently creates a scenario where communication doesn't happen. And so I call it whisper down the lane design. You wind up with, say, a strategy consultant working with a client early on and maybe producing some really good outcomes from the standpoint of the client understanding things and and looking at things well. Um, And there may be some legacy elements that come out of that legacy documents and whatnot um, that by the time it gets through the next team and then the next team and gets passed along to, say, the designer who's actually just one of three designers working for a creative director or something, they never even see that document. They they don't even know it exists. You know, there's the, – they don't have any clue of the thing that the editorial director said. If there's nothing else, like, that we accomplish in this, we have to fix this and we have to be able to make content and get it out there quickly and we do this many per, you know. Like, some of those kinds of things, like, never make it down to designers. And, and that's uh, – I mean I think the only way you correct that is early and often be raising it as a as a thing that you want to avoid and you and you need to have someone who's playing that role of sort of safeguarding the communication of the project designers yeah. you know UX directors creative directors content strategists they should all be trying to to safeguard that
0: one of the things that I know that I've seen a lot is that's, I guess it's the, just the way that humans work, but it's very easy for differing and sometimes confusingly overlapping like terminology and vocabulary to develop where without a lot of really conscious work, it's easy for di- those different teams to be saying one thing and a- another team to be hearing something utterly completely different.
1: Well, so the, one of the beautiful things about mobile though, <laughs> in my, in my opinion, is it, is it creates this wonderful opportunity to look at content in this priorities way and it, through through a really tiny focal point things like even the way i i do content priority lists um in my design process now is different because of it because it used to be that i wanted a broad understanding like if, if I brainstorm with the editorial team and the client and the different stakeholders that would have the most ability to speak into and brainstorm what the different components that might make up a given, say, screen that a user would come to, um, I'd have them assign a one, two, and three to everything and because I'd want to f- begin just understanding relative importance. Mm-hmm. But actually now I've been leaning towards putting Every one of them in direct order, because the way and mobile gr- creates this great way to sort of understand that. Even though, granted, that's an over, oversimplification, because with mobile and touch interface, there's all kinds of creative things you can do to be able to disp- to give access to a few different things at one time through the viewport. Nevertheless, like looking looking at it as a well, mobile's so narrow that like you basically have this stack that is your components that make up a given URL. Um, and what order are we going to put the stack in, um, is a, is a really great tool in a design process and a really great tool. I even think for editorial teams to start thinking of their content in that way. Like, what is it that, you know, someone's actually going to be able to see through a 320 by 480, you know, viewport and then you know through the next 480 what should they see in the next and the next
0: i know you have done a you've done a fair number of uh, responsive designs uh, for for projects on on relatively large complex sites how do, how does that change things i mean it it feels like it's this a, a really useful philosophical tool when approaching some of these prioritization decisions but it's actually pretty darn complicated to try to make that work on a really complex site.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it, it makes it far more important that you approach establishing, understanding, uh, and then carrying out priorities because you have you have too many possibilities going on, especially the more complex a site is. Like the lots of rich media, like say you have a very complex content model, lots of different components, lots of things happening. Uh, On a given URL, there's just so many variations, so many different screen sizes that looking at it like a old-fashioned design project where it's just like, okay, now let's what should it look like at this size is just a losing game. I mean, it's you, it's just too much work. Well, there's too many sizes and different
0: new emerging input types. Yeah, the
1: proliferation of devices, even interaction types, are actually like becoming more common across other things. There's like, you know, touch-based laptops and, you know, even desktops now. And there's approaching design from a content model and content priority kind of a standpoint is basically it's been the way that I've managed to simplify the design process. Sort of content first
0: as a survival skill. Yeah,
1: exactly. I think it's it's just like well this is the only way that we can actually do this and have a product come out of it that's actually going to be good for all users like under beginning that like you and I have actually done a fair a fair bit of work together in the recent past where we've started to to notice some things about how how we content model and this idea of what core content is, like what a premium content asset is. Uh, kind of comes out of when you're trying to uncover what's really important. You often discover that, but then figuring out how you sort of think about the content model, the structure of content related to um, what's core, what's the actual asset of content. that The editorial team is sort of what's, what's all their love go into. And then what are those things that are, that are structural content within the site that help sort of serve the IA of how we're going to organize all these rivers of this stuff um the channels through which all the content's going to flow. And then what are the things that are just popping up in the design process that maybe are they're not ridiculous like blue sky designing that's that's divorced from the idea of what the the core content assets are, but they do require like We want the ability, like the editor. It's not really the editorial team. It's like this isn't something that's going to flow through a channel on the site. But we want the ability to make this thing that's like, when we have one of these, it'll pop up here and it lets us promote this or that, and it's sort of like a presentational type of content that,
0: like you know, uh, items for the for the rotator on the front page is one of the common ones. and,
1: And they need to be. They, they need to be made and be made up of things that really are sort of slightly beyond the scope of the core content asset.
0: Probably they're, they're a little more transient and a little more, you know, sensitive to the ebb and flow of design and promotional changes, whereas some of those underlying, you know, content assets. Right. Are probably more consistent over yeah, time. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like six months in, the we hire the design team to actually refactor the entire hero section of the homepage because we want something, we want it to feel fresh, and they and they rethink this whole way of 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 rotating priority stories and then and it's sort of like ah, that changes the whole underlying content structure for what a story is or something it's like you don't want that happening
0: well this is this is the conversation we've been having for a couple of months now as we've been trying to sort of make our modeling process a little more systematic that concept of treating content as a combination of underlying assets Structural components and then design and presentation oriented components that may have a shorter lifespan or maybe more anchored to a, a, a particular, you know, presentational or design need than, mm-hmm. than some of the, I guess what you, what you referred to as more premium assets. But that also, I think goes back to, you know, something we were talking about very, very early in the podcast, which was design and presentation is a part of content too. Mm-hmm. It's not just some sort of like platonic isolation where there's your your content and there's your IA which is some sort of, you know, mystical taxonomy out there mm-hmm. and then there's your design. It's just CSS and it's image assets and it's just somehow magically combined with, you know, the these other two ingredients and and a website is what results. You know, all of them to a large extent are content. They just serve different roles.
1: Right. Yeah, I've never I've never been fond of the term the visual layer because it it insinuates that there's this yeah fully separate thing that designers can just kind of do what they want and you're styling actual content and and almost everything is content in one way or the other so before we wrap up.
0: As someone who's, who comes into a lot of projects where, you know, there's existing teams, you know, from, you know, either other agencies or, you know, clients who are, you know, trying to, who, who sort of, you know, already have a head of steam going and they want to, you know, they, they know what they want or they know, or maybe each different team inside of a project has a different idea of, you know, wh- what they want and where they're trying to go. What's your wish list for like what people could communicate to you? before man months are invested in in something that somebody may not be happy with?
1: That's a great question. My ideal projects are ones where it doesn't feel like lots of work and pulling of teeth to get to a place where I clearly understand the brand priorities, the content priorities, and then the editorial priorities. I mean, there's, there's sort of larger business goals around all those things, but really as a designer, like I often tr- wind up sort of focusing in on those things. Like, what are we really trying to accomplish from a brand perspective? What are, what is the content itself and, and, and how do you prioritize it? And then especially what is it that the people who will make and manage this content, you know, want to see ha- happen. Uh, there are projects I work on where the brand priorities are like very clear or you come in and. And there's been lots of work done to define the brand. There's, you know, giant brand guides with all kinds of examples and legacy materials to look at and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's usually less of a, although not always, but sometimes it's less, I should say. For some reason, a lot of the time the the teams making or creating content, their idea of the structure of the content is actually quite different than what feels sensible to me. And uh, and sort of getting to the place where I understand why that is, oftentimes the discrepancy is tool related. The, the tool that they've been using has forced them into sort of a, a mental construct about their content. We have to make things big. and big. Yeah, yeah. There, there's like all these weird things that end up surfacing that it's like, oh, so it's not that the user who's consuming this doesn't care about when this was published, it's that you had to not show that because your tool gave you no other way than changing the date to change this, the priority of a story. These kinds of things are always fascinating to suddenly find out. And it's like organizations, big, small billion dollar organizations down to tiny ones. No, nobody is immune to it. So I'm also always fascinated just to learn how things happen. Like, I don't know if you have to be, to be a designer, but like, how stories get written, revised, approved, you know, what's been happening, what would really be ideal. A lot of times the people that have been doing it for long enough, what feels ideal is like some tiny tweak to what they're used to because what they're used to is something that they're comfortable with. They they want that one particular pebble in the shoe taken out. It's it's amazing actually how many pebbles are in their shoe. Like <laughs> it's like really like you think that just taking that one pebble out would be wonderful and yeah it's that kind of stuff fascinates me and it's not always easy to it's it's not there in RFPs. Hardly I don't think I've ever read an RFP where it clearly defines here's all of our editorial pain points, here's the here's the structure of our content. Here's the, you know, sort of priority of it.
0: There's usually like a single bullet point that says current system is clunky. Yeah,
1: And FaceTime, like talking, spending time with the people who are making the content, that kind of stuff is is usually invaluable. But it's also a thing that I think that a lot of designers never have the luxury of doing. I think that's
0: part of that silo thing that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... It's very easy for these di- the different disciplines that really need to communicate with each other effectively to to understand you know what's being built and what what's needed. It's very easy for spec documents and questionnaires to be used as like the the means of communication between them. You mm-hmm. know, it's, things get thrown over the wall and the important nuance never really gets captured. Yeah. Well, anyways, I I, want to say thank you very much for joining us. I know you're going to be speaking um, at a couple of different events coming up.
1: Yeah, I'll be speaking at Converge Southeast, uh, and that's near the end of April. And I'll also be speaking at DrupalCon in Portland in May, as well as uh, at Artifact, which is going to be in Austin uh, in May. So all of those... Should be fun. Uh, Artifact is a really neat conference where it's going to be much more practical. I don't get to do a lot of like demo training kind of speaking, where it's like I'm walking people through how you do something. And that that one I'm going to be walking people through just stuff that I've been doing lately with frameworks that are out there to build wireframes with HTML and CSS. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. It, it uh, Converge and DrupalCon, I'll be speaking about responsive process and organizing responsive projects and sensible deliverables for designers uh, now that they're doing responsive websites and that kind of stuff. So I'm excited about all of that. Well, fantastic.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll be speaking again soon. Thanks for listening to insert content here. If you'd like to catch up on our archives or keep up on our new episodes, visit us at lullabot.com slash ideas slash podcasts slash insert content here. You can also visit us directly at insert content here.com.